0: I lived a lot of my life making decisions based on either how somebody is going to react or even just the fear of what their feelings or reaction is going to be. And sometimes I wouldn't even do something or even think of doing something because I was afraid of how my parents are going to react or what my parents are going to say. The thing that drives me in that is how am I going to be a great sister a great partner one day a great contributor to society first and foremost like a great muslim and like answer to a law on the day of judgment if i'm not working on myself so i think sometimes we think like that work comes later oh you'll get married and then you'll figure out how to be like a wife or a partner to somebody and it's no i think that work actually starts a long time before you know you get into that and all this work is helping you be a, a great person in all the relationships in your life one to yourself and then to everybody around you. So I think we have to remember that we're helping ourselves and we're helping everyone else around us, even if they don't see that.
1: Going after what makes you happy as an Arab Muslim woman doesn't always come with instant gratification. There is pain and there is guilt involved when finally making a decision for yourself. You're listening to Unsweet and Unfilter the Podcast, episode 10 of season 4. I often wonder to myself, will I ever experience happiness without allowing myself to poison the moment by the idea that I'm making others unhappy in return? Grief is interesting when it shows up in moments where you are welcoming a new chapter in your life, a chapter you have been making duet for for the longest. Yet somehow, in some way, without an invite, grief can show up and incessantly knock on your door, and you have no choice but to acknowledge it. But I'm trying my best to not allow grief to paralyze me or to instill fear in me and prevent me from entering this new chapter of my life. I am someone who has stayed in her comfort zone for far too long. And so naturally, self-doubt is trying to keep me here a bit longer. But for the first time, I'm refusing to do so. Someone else who may understand what I'm going through is none other than Abir Najjar. She is a self-taught chef and food writer, born on the south side of Chicago to Palestinian immigrant parents, and in today's episode, Abir shares with me her journey of self-growth as an Arab woman. I have a heart-to-heart with Abid in regards to some of her most recent decisions that she has made and how that has impacted her relationship with her parents. I've realized that when discussing the topic of self-development as an Arab woman, it is almost impossible to not touch upon our past and current relationship with our immigrant parents and how that has shaped the decisions we are making today. As grown adults, how can we transform our bond with our parents to welcome them into the new chapters of our lives? We also can't forget about the picture of Abir al-Umrah going viral, a picture that had captured a beautiful moment between Abir and her brother. But I also want to discuss the experiences she had at umrah the ones that weren't captured within this photo, and the reflections she can share with us that she has brought back from her trip. How does Ihsan and Taqwa play a role in our lives as Muslim women who are trying to forge a new path for themselves, while balancing relationship with their parents and working towards emotional independence? Let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining me today, Abir. So happy that this is your second appearance on the pod, and rightfully so because I continue to truly learn so much from your reflections and life experiences. And today's conversation will take us through your journey of self-growth as an Arab woman and the importance of Hassan. But first, can you reintroduce yourself to our listeners? And then inshallah, we can get right into it.
0: Well, thank you for having me again. Uh, it was super fun the first time I was on, so I was very excited when you reached out again. As far as me, my name is Abir Najjar. I am a chef and food writer, uh, born and raised on the southwest side of Chicago, born to Palestinian immigrants who came here in the
1: 1970s, and I'm currently residing in Humboldt Park. And let's talk about that because I think that's one of the conversations you and I had. Off mic, we talked about like what generation we come from. In our generation, it was a lot of, you know, just being close to our parents, being there for them, putting everybody's needs before ours. And that's not always a bad thing. Of course, you always want to be there for our parents, for our loved ones, but it's very difficult to finally make choices for ourselves. And you made the huge decision of, and this is a very personal choice, of moving out of your parents' house. For me, that's a big deal. And I, I think the reason why is because I'm still struggling with that concept i'm still struggling of being able to find my own voice being able to make my own choices i think i've expressed that so many times on this podcast and i'm still on that journey so for you to take that leap like i would love to know like what finally pushed you to be able to kind of go on your own and and live on your own Yeah, so I did make the decision to
0: move out of my parents' house, move out on my own. And I think when we're talking about that, it might be a little bit different from other people because I think there's culturally been this expectation that we only do that when we get married or maybe for... Like school or a, maybe a career change, that's sometimes the acceptable reasons why somebody might move out. For some people, obviously, we know everyone's different, but my family's really close. I live with a big family. While I love that and that has made me who I am and I've been surrounded with like so much love and support. I found in the last five years of my life that it was difficult for me to have my own personal growth, constantly being surrounded by family and not always having that privacy with yourself or that intimacy with your own company that you sometimes need in order to like find out who you actually are when nobody else is around or how you might deal with things or building your independence. And Alhamdulillah, like I have been able to like nourish my independence and and grow that a lot uh, over the years. You know, like I've traveled on my own and I've been working since I was 17. Like these kind of things, like being financially independent dependent and, you know, going where I want and hanging out with friends, things like that, that's never felt like a restriction for me. And my family hasn't ever restricted me from things that I wanted to do. But I think sometimes we don't notice when we're so surrounded with family all the time that there there might be growth there that we don't even realize we need to have or we need to work on until we're by ourselves. You know, I had discussed it with my family like a few years back and it was like something my, my mom especially was not crazy about because we have such a close relationship and especially as I've gotten older, our relationship has shifted a lot. We've become more of friends than we are like a mother-daughter dynamic. And I think for her, she kind of felt like, oh, you want to leave me? And, you know, I had to find the words and explanation to tell her like it wasn't something personal against her, something personal against my family, that it was something personal for me and something I had to do. And even if they didn't understand that, maybe that it was just something I needed them to help me, like just support me on. That was the decision I decided to make. And I think it was a really good
1: one for me and my own personal journey. And that's why you inspire me, because I feel like we had the same upbringing. In a way, albeit. And, you know, sometimes it's not always that you're trying to leave your parents' house because it's toxic and it's a toxic environment. Sometimes it's, there's also the flip side of it being such a loving home, a loving, caring home where you're super, super close. I think it's like very difficult in leaving that because you feel that guilt. Your parents don't know how to separate that. The choices that you're making is not because it's in spite of them or it's because they did anything wrong. It's because you want to do something for yourself. So I continue to carry that guilt. Like if I make a choice for myself, I feel like in a way I'm telling my parents they didn't do good enough for me or they're not doing enough for me and I need to move away from them. And it's not that, but it's sometimes it's so hard to communicate that, especially when I didn't grow up with the best communication skills. And when you were talking about independence, yeah, it made me think like, I feel like my independence is like part time. It's not full time. Like it comes in little spurts like, yes, can I go anywhere I want? Yes, can I travel anywhere I want? Yes, can I live outside of my home? I'm not ready for that conversation yet with my family. So it's like that part of the independence is it's still not there. And something I came across that really just like hit home for me was You know, somebody said, Our parents' home is our comfort zone, and nothing grows in comfort. And I really realized that, like, I'm so comfortable in my parents' home. I'm comfortable with who I am, the choices I've made. There's no judgment. My parents just accept me for who I've become. But it's like I'm not becoming. I've I'm staying who I've become, like from my teenage version of myself to now my adult version of myself. But I've not flourished. I have not reached my full potential. I'm not tapping into my full potential because I've accepted this way of life. You know, is it more difficult to figure out who you want to be in an environment that produced the version of yourself? that you're trying to outgrow. So it's like, I'm in my parents' home. I went back to my parents' home after I got divorced. And it's like, I've kind of slowly went back into who I used to be. I don't know. I don't want to consider a regression because in a way, you know, I always kind of view it as a gift from Allah. And I know it's like, people say get from all let's move back to your parents house don't you want your independence but in a way it is because it was a very tumultuous environment when I was growing up the reason being is because I reached a certain age where my parents were being pressured from outside family to get me married it was a lot of a lot of arguments between me and my parents and I felt like I lost a lot of years a lot of trust between myself and my parents at that point because I ended up being in a very horrible relationship I ended up getting the divorce and all that stuff but it's like I kind of view moving back into my parents house as like a second chance you know trying to erase the bad memories and replacing them with good moments and good memories and really trying to understand my parents for who they are, aside from them being my parents. Do you feel that way too? I know you probably didn't go through the same thing as me, but it's so different now viewing your parents as an adult than when you were kind of like really under their supervision, really had to listen to their decisions that they made on behalf of you. Now you're a grown woman and you were living with your parents. Like, How does that feel or how did it feel for you before you moved out? I think first, the point about not growing in a comfort zone is
0: it's just absolutely true. I mean, that's okay. Some people at times in our lives, we do just need to be in comfort or we need to be somewhere stable and supportive. And that's all right. I'm not saying like everybody living with their parents is a comfort zone. For some people, that's that's a greater challenge than if they were on their own. So everybody has their own opportunities and their own challenges to learn and grow from the situation they're in. I had just as many challenges moving out as I did when I was living with my parents. They just switched. But I think to the point of... Viewing our parents and how we see them, even just in my adult years, especially in recent years, I've had to thankfully, by the grace of Allah and by like reading more and trying to understand. I'm not a parent, so understanding where parents are coming from, especially immigrant parents, we have to offer them a lot of grace. And I don't know if there's always conversation in like a middle ground to teach us that. I think. We either hear a lot of forget your parents, they don't know, they don't get it, break that intergenerational trauma and just, and it's like breaking intergenerational trauma is not abandoning your parents because you might just be doing the same thing that might have happened to them or that they might have did to somebody. So, you know, treading with care and with compassion is so important. I remember reading like it always like makes me emotional to think about. But, you know, you have to remember that like your parents were trying the best with what they knew at that time. And when I think about like my parents being like in their early 20s, moving to a new country, having kids, like not knowing the language, not having smartphones to do everything for them. It gives me perspective and I'm like, okay, that was the hand they were dealt and they were just trying their best with it. And it's not to excuse behavior that maybe wasn't great or people that maybe were treated mistreated by their parents or by their family, but I think just to allow your heart to soften a little bit towards how they treated you and how to grow from that. Fast forward now, like in their age now like my parents are in their 60s. Now I have to give them the grace of like that they didn't have that same, they didn't have the luxury of self-development that you know we're all sitting around talking about. They didn't get to sit on a podcast and talk about how do I grow and self-develop because they had so many other things to worry about, but they can still do that. And that's like conversations like me and my siblings still have with my parents. My parents have both gone to therapy. Like I said, we've reached a point where we're more friends than we are just the children. And my parents, like, Alhamdulillah, view us that way, too. Like we raised you guys, you're adults. Like we have discussions like we're all adults. So I think it's important, too, to not dismiss them or think like they're old and their lives are done, like they have so much that they can do for their own growth and their own happy life. And I was talking to my sister actually recently about this, that I don't think we talk enough about like empty nesting for immigrant Muslim parents. We learn this concept as like an American concept for standard white American family. Kids move out and then the parents are kind of sad, don't know what to do, and they just pick up some hobbies or, you know, whatever it may be if they're retired. But I don't think we talk about that enough with our community and what kind of support we're giving our elders or just our parents' generation so that when their kids are moving on into bigger parts of their lives, like what do, what do they now do? Besides be grandparents and besides side, continue to support us in what we do, like how are we supporting their own growth so that they can be happy and that there isn't a codependency of them only thinking about what are my children doing and how is it making me happy or not making me happy.
1: And I think that's a struggle. I think that's why we don't think about empty nesting because of like how we focus so heavily on marriage and getting married that we feel like, okay, this is all they wanted for us and we granted it for them. And then that's it. It's almost like the conversation kind of ends there. But it's like, what happens beyond that? Because now I'm starting a new life. What about my parents? What are they doing? You know, I think in general, like when it comes to our parents, we're trying our best to repair our relationships with them. And and like you said, it's very nuanced. Everybody comes from a very different background. Some people really do come from toxic homes and some people come from very loving homes. And then there's the in between there's sometimes there is that trauma that's still there, but it's also a family that truly loves and supports you. But unfortunately, they made bad decisions, but with good intentions. And it's, it's very difficult, especially when you move back into your parents home and you're trying to kind of like you're almost reliving the trauma, but then you're also trying to repair this relationship with them and understand that, hey, I'm growing and, and they're growing too. I still think like we'll have these conversations, but I still think we almost kind of view our parents just as parents. And I honestly commend you and your siblings for kind of trying to push beyond that and trying to see them as actual human beings and understanding why they are the way that they are. You brought up a good point. We have the luxury of going through self-development, of going through these growth phases and being supported by our peers in the process and being given the resources because therapy is like the number one resource in what allowed me to kind of like jumpstart my healing process because without it, I was just living in my thoughts, in my mind and and reliving everything that I went through. But then I had the luxury of being able to find a therapist, talk about what I went through. And for your parents to have therapists, I think that's incredible. But at the same time, it's almost kind of unheard of. A lot of our parents don't seek that help because they don't know, they don't even feel like they need that help. That's the sad part. I think they feel like what they went through is kind of like, oh, everybody went through it. Or they wouldn't talk about it because
0: it's still a stigma amongst yes. their generation. And I'm pretty sure there's probably lots of people who might be listening who are like one of my parents or my aunt or my uncle is in therapy or has seen some kind of mental health support, but they're not going to go scream across the Internet. Whereas, again, we have the luxury of like we flaunt it now. Yeah how <laughs> we go to therapy, you know, and I don't think our parents, they're not living in that same environment. And I, and I wish that for them, too. I wish that for them that they will feel confident in wanting to suggest that to other people. And I think just one more point about like being around our parents and like we might be changing and maybe we don't see change in them. But I think it's important sometimes to try to change our perspective or just step out step out and see the bigger picture. Because I notice with my nieces and nephews that sometimes I think they're not listening when... They're are around me and then they tell me something they repeat something that I'm like they were listening when I said that. I think our parents also do that too. And I think we don't give them enough credit for it. It doesn't always mean like they're gonna repeat it back to us and be like, oh yeah, you taught me X, Y, and Z. I don't think everybody is like stagnant. Like you have to consciously be very stagnant and not want to hear any outside perspective or want to change. And I think sometimes our parents a lot of times are hearing the things we're saying, or are hearing things that they see on TV or on the internet. If your family's on social media, like my my mom uses social media, like she's found like self help and therapy like Instagram accounts that are in Arabic, and I'm just like, how'd you find this? You know, send
1: them my way, Abby. See, I would love to share these resources with my mom, but my mom she she doesn't read and write in English, so it's like it's it's hard. I'll come across such incredible books that have helped me, but I'm like, oh, I wish I could somehow translate this for my mom because I know it would benefit her. You know, my dad speaks perfect English he can read right he can do all that but my mom like there's just so many things that I would help her I would love to help her out with and it's not about being stagnant I guess what I was trying to say is just like we are afforded this support system that they don't have and you're so right there's that stigma like I can't even imagine my mom ever let alone going to therapy but then also talking about going to therapy because of how much they're being shunned for that and that's why when I look back at all the choices my parents made on my behalf it was not their choices it was like literally our extended family pressuring them to make certain choices and it's like that was their community that was the community that they were trying to continue to be a part of. And without that community, they felt like they literally had no one because you're right, they're immigrants. They came from a a whole different country, a whole different world. This isn't their homeland. And it's like they wanted to find that community, even if it came at the expense of this community telling them, oh, you're not raising your kids right. You're supposed to do it like this. And we know better than you. And it it was really sad. And I look at that. It's like, yeah, I look at the pressure placed on me by my parents. But then it's like I had to realize where that source of pressure was coming from. And my parents were really, truly trying the best that they can. And they also weren't the oldest siblings, so they felt like their older siblings were their kind of guiding points, almost like second parents to them, because that's just the way it was, at least for my my family.
0: Like, what kind of guilt do they maybe carry,
1: you know, that we don't see and that they're
0: maybe scared to talk to us about? And they might just be feeling like... I didn't do my child justice and I don't even know how to tell them they maybe they hate me. Like if we never have these conversations with them, how would we know? And they're hard conversations to have. But I think also it goes back to language as well. I think we talked about this before of we can't just go to our parents and be like, you're gaslighting me and you're making me do all this emotional labor. And they're like, what is that? (laughs) what are you talking about? So I think it's really important for us too to like check our privilege and being able to verbalize all these things and give them terms and express ourselves, but how do we say that in a different language to our parents? And I think that is really a bridge to be able to talk to parents and your parents about maybe things you're feeling or things you may have felt and it might open doors for them to say something that they've never wanted to say and it might be hard but it may break maybe tension or stress that's been there in the relationship and that that eventually morphs into generational trauma getting passed down, like I think that's really how sometimes it gets broken is just talking about it, acknowledging it, forgiving people, moving on and and that might be like a, a gateway for that, I think with them.
1: Yeah. I feel like there's still some conversations that I'll have with my fa- my parents and it's not that I'm seeking an apology. I guess I'm just like seeking a reckoning, a realization like, hey, you guys did X, Y, and Z and it affected me and we still haven't reached that point. So I'm really treading that carefully, be, because I don't want to hurt myself again in the process, nor do I want to diminish how far they've come. So like you said, sometimes they don't have the proper language to be able to kind of like acknowledge what happened or they don't know how to apologize and maybe again like the elders of our community always you know they weren't taught to to apologize to their kids we were always to this day even even maybe even sometimes being married you're still viewed as a child like we talked about the youth concept in our community where like you're still viewed as a child between even up until the age of like me being 33 i still feel like i'm viewed as a child and that that does and can hinder your growth in a way but you have to learn how to not internalize that and still know how to break free from you know that codependency but also that that concept of of how like the society or our community views you and I feel like yeah unfortunately because I'm not married I'm still considered a child when I can really honestly take care of myself and I don't need a, a certain relationship status to kind of validate my independency or what I can do for myself or all that so I guess like for people who are listening who want to have these conversations with their parents and it's not going anywhere I, I really want them to kind of like just try to carefully and maybe like you know there's always a time and place to revisit it and I'm hoping to revisit it and, and talk to my parents about certain things. But right now at this moment, I feel like we're not there yet. And that's okay. Yeah, you don't have to feel pressured to do it because that is also asking a lot of you. So you have to make sure
0: that you're in a place where you're prepared for that. And for some people, that takes a lot of time. And and that is what that self growth time and that self development time is really good for is for you being able to process things on your own. So when you revisit it, it's not Bringing up the same feelings they used to or that it's overwhelming you so much that you can't even speak about it. So I think everybody is going to find the time and place an environment that works best for them. And it might not be them one on one with their parents. It might be with the support of a therapist. It might be with the support of a mediator or family. And it doesn't have to be something so serious or, you know, rigid, but. Uh, For everybody, it's going to look different of what growing and developing your relationship with yourself and then with your family.
1: So, how do we break free from this codependency? Obviously, we're not experts, you and I, but we're in the process of doing this, where we are trying to break free, do things for ourselves, trying to find our own happiness. But at the same time, it's like, how do we not make our parents feel left behind in a way? Or like, how do we also break free from that guilt? Sometimes we imagine that guilt, but sometimes it's it's real guilt where our parents will literally tell us, like, oh, you're leaving me. Why? What did I do wrong? Or why can't why can't you live with us? We're providing everything for you under this roof it's a lot and sometimes like their voices are much louder than mine and I internalized that and then that's why I'm still in my comfort zone still in my childhood bedroom and it's like I have to face that reality every single day like when am I going to break free like when am I going to finally make that decision for myself but also do it in a way with grace where I'm not hurting my parents and trying my best to explain it to them because you know like we talked about like our parents honestly at the end of the day majority of them not all because I know every Everybody has a different relationship with their parents. They really, really want to love and protect us. And sometimes that love and protection can come in such an overbearing manner that like, yeah, it's really hard to break free from that. I think that our parents are
0: Always going to want to protect us. And I think accepting that is one of the first points of being able to like release the guilt or release yourself from codependence is accepting what parents are going to be like. And generally, parents are going to be protective all of our lives. They're always going to see us as their children. My mom literally will still introduce me at 35 years old, will be like, Oh, this is my baby. (gasps) And I'm like, Mom. (laughs) <laughs> and she's like, "Are you not?" And I'm like, technically, yeah, I I am the youngest. but but in my mind, I'm like, okay, they, will always view me as that, even if they acknowledge all the growth I've had or success in my life, whatever it may be, when it comes down to it, I'm their baby that they want to protect.
1: How did you shift your relationship with your mom? I guess that's like, that's because to me, that's so interesting, like being able to like shift that relationship from being her daughter, which you still are, but having more of like a friendship now. And like, that's a whole completely different type of relationship. Like, how has that been working out for you? And how did you do it? Like, what have you been doing to allow it to be more of like a friendship between you and and your mom?
0: I think like not everybody gets to have that luxury, especially if they don't live near their parents as adults, or they don't spend a lot of time with their parents. I've had thankfully like the luxury of not getting married and moving far away. I mean, I still live in the same city as my parents. Being able to spend time with them as I've grown older, I think has allowed me the chance to like shift our relationship. And I think things just like shifting what I do with them, things that my dad enjoys doing, like engaging in those things with him versus only being in the daughter role of like taking care of him or, and it doesn't mean I don't do those things. When I'm at my parents, I like to make breakfast for him. I like to have morning coffee with them or whatever. Traveling with my mom was a really big contributor to our our relationship, changing more to like a friendship. Again, I still feel like I'm a bit of the caretaker when when we travel, right? Like I don't want her. Travel places alone or like long distance international traveling, I'll like work it out so I can be with her. But I think also having that one on one time away from other people in our family or away from grandchildren and things like that, and being able to like have more conversations as adults, having intimate conversations, allowing the trust to talk to her about things that maybe I never talked to her about, I think start to change that dynamic. And for everyone, that's going to look different. We know that. But I think for us, being able to like build that trust and build that, you know, relationship between us has shifted us a lot. That doesn't mean we don't go into like mother daughter mode. We go there all the time. And like I said, she's always going to be my mom. Nurturing that friendship as well is really important to when you want to have more frank conversations or you want to be like, this is about me right now and not about you. And I think that coming back to the point about guilt, like we said like acknowledging our parents are always going to protect us but i think also we have to acknowledge that like their feelings are their feelings I would be very gentle in how I would say this to my parents. I wouldn't say it in this exact way, but I lived a lot of my life making decisions based on either how somebody is going to react, how their feelings are going to be, or even just the fear of what their feelings or reaction is going to be. And sometimes I wouldn't even do something or even think of doing something because I was afraid of how my parents are going to react or what my parents are going to say. We have to accept that there are going to be things we might want to do in our lives that they are Are going to react to in that way. And they might say like, you're hurting me or you're doing this. And it's okay to think about it and think about, am I doing this to them? But if you truly have to do that thing for yourself, then you have to be able to separate yourself from that. And it doesn't mean don't support them or say like, well, how can I help so that you don't feel that way? Or what can we do? Or how can we compromise on this? But I think it's really important to not operate in a way that is based just off of other people's feelings. Because when we're talking about like the self-development and independence, I think really the, the thing that drives me in that is how am I gonna be a great sister, a great partner one day, a great contributor to society, first and foremost, like a great Muslim and like answer to Allah on the day of judgment. If I'm not working on myself, developing myself and developing my independence, if I'm doing everything based on what other people want and based on what other people are telling me or their feelings or reactions, how am I going to ever reach those goals in in those parts of my life? Those are all parts of me as well. So I think sometimes we think like that work comes later. Oh, you'll get married and then you'll figure out how to be like a wife or a partner to somebody. And it's like, no, I think that work actually starts a long time before, you know, you get into that. And all this work is helping you be a, a great person in all the relationships in your life, one to yourself and then to everybody around you. So I think we have to remember that we're helping ourselves and we're helping everyone else around us, even if they don't see that.
1: I think the three things that I really like struggled with for me personally, like with my parents, when it came to boundaries, first and foremost, when I realized what boundaries are and just being a little bit more clear about them and being assertive. But I think a lot of people struggle with setting boundaries with their loved ones or with their family or whatever, because it could feel like it's one sided when you feel like you're the only one that sees the need for it and the other party does not feel like like, what is this? Like, they see it not as a joke, but like, what do you mean you're setting boundaries? Like, what are you talking about? You know, but I, I felt like with my parents, I had to continuously like be very adamant and be very assertive when it came to my boundaries so that they can finally take it seriously and not like brush it off as like, oh, whatever. Dunya's just being Dunya, you know? So it's like, I, I'm still an adult, but I'm living in my childhood home. So it's like my only saving grace is my boundaries, is to be able to still like have privacy in the form of creating boundaries for myself. So I think that's something that, that can be really difficult when you're still living with... With your family. But it's a learning process for myself, but I'm also seeing them accept it more, you know? And I'm not asking for anything crazy, but again, like you said, it's difficult because they still view me as their child, as their daughter, as somebody that they, ha- they have to take care of, you know? Secondly, forgiving them. I think forgiveness in general is so difficult, even if it's not your parents. It could be even forgiving yourself. I think that will always be difficult, but I'm trying to shift my perspective on that and realize like forgiveness is literally between me and Allah. Even if I feel like my parents are still hurting me or doing something that I don't agree with or whatever... At the end of the day, forgiveness is between me and Allah. And at least I put my intention out there like, hey, Allah, like I'm honestly trying my best to forge a better relationship with my family, forge a better relationship with my parents. And inshallah, like, you know, I can forgive them in the process and truly forgive them if I'm seeking his forgiveness, you know, so it goes back to trying to be a better Muslim in that sense. Lastly, this is something you and I agreed on our parents are in the age where they're acting very old, older than they really are. Like my parents will literally act like they're 80 <laughs> or 90 when they're not even in their 60s. My parents are in their very, very late 50s. But I'm like, what are you guys doing? But we both kind of agreed off mic. I mean, it's their way of indirectly telling us we we need you. We need you guys around. We want you guys. And it's them just indirectly trying to continue a relationship with us. I'm like, y'all don't have to act like you're like 80 or 90 years old for me to stick around and be there. Because I think that's their fear like if they act like they're very independent don't need us then it makes it easier for us to be like okay i'm moving out my parents don't need me but when they're acting old and we have to help them with every single thing which i do not mind but it's at the same time like i want them to also be independent i want them to be able to like see their own strength and that they don't have to act a certain way to keep their children around i don't know if anybody else struggles with this but when you and i talked about this off mic i was like oh my god somebody else understands me that my parents are really young but why are they acting this way you know I think people listening are going to definitely agree with this.
0: I can only speak from being a Palestinian Arab child immigrants. So this could be, I mean, it is completely anecdotal. There's no evidence-based research, but I feel like this is something I noticed not only like in my family and people I I know here, I've noticed that when I've traveled back to Palestine in certain families. And I think like you said, it's a way for our parents to kind of say indirectly, hey, I need you. And I think that's the only way they might envision that this is the only capacity that I can ask for my children to be around if I'm old and sick and tired, they're going to take care of me. I mean, me and my siblings have had frank conversations with my parents about this and i think something really important to say to your parents if this is something you're experiencing you flip it on them if you are independent and you're healthy and you are like living a great life it doesn't mean i'm going to abandon you it actually means i'm going to be able to live a great happy life with you it means we're going to be able to do things together it means we're going to be able to go places together it means when i am hanging out with you, I'm going to be happy and I'm not just going to be constantly feeling like you're somebody I need to take care of, which is okay if somebody is in that situation. But to purposely like act as if you're older and more sick and tired, I've been frank with like my parents, like I want to travel with you guys. I want to do these things. I want to whatever. I want you to be like healthy for your grandchildren. I want you to be able to like carry your grandchildren and run around with them and have fun with them little by little, you know, they see that they don't they it starts to shift. Like, oh, I don't have to be the old, sick, haja or haji for my kids to want to spend time around me. Because maybe that's what they saw. Maybe they saw that growing up that, oh, people only came around the elders who were really sick and couldn't walk around much. And everyone came and visited them and served them and took care of them. So I think it's like okay to have frank conversations with your parents and like support them. If there is legitimate like health things, support them in that and don't make feel guilty for that. I think there's sometimes I felt like animosity or like being upset with acknowledging that my parents are getting older, like they have all the control and they don't. And I think once you get into your 30s and stuff starts clicking and you're uh, more tired than usual, you start to realize like, you know, you don't have that youthful energy and health the same way. So you have to actively work for it. But so I think like supporting them and that is really important. Forgiveness, you have to forgive yourself. And I think that helps you forgive others as well. I remember one of my teachers telling us like, The person most deserving of your grace and your forgiveness is yourself. If you don't do that, you know, how will you have that? How will your heart be able to do that towards other people? I always think about this. If boundaries are difficult, it means they have to be there. Person is giving you resistance on them. It probably means that you need it. But I think I think like we said again about language, sometimes people don't get that. So they hear that word and they think you're shutting them out or they think you don't want me in your life. But it might just legitimately be like, I just need this time right now or I need this from you or right now I can't have this conversation, but I can have it with you tomorrow. And physical proximity doesn't mean you're going to have boundaries. You can move out and you could still have complete lack of boundaries. You will just have, if your family's not violating your boundaries, now you're just going to allow other people to violate your boundaries. Or you're still going to allow people to violate your boundaries with calling you whenever they want, coming over whenever they want, texting you with pouring all their emotions on you. You know, like everybody has to decide what those look like, but there isn't like a one remedy of like, yes, if you move out from your parents' house, you're going to know boundaries. No, if you didn't really know how to have them before, you're probably not going to have them there. And For people who are living at home, who choose to live at home with their, with their parents or with their family or with siblings, you can still find ways to, you know, I wanted to bring this up earlier on is like, you can still nurture that independence in so many ways, whether it's like making space outside of your home for yourself, making time for yourself, nurturing time with yourself in nature, working out or going to a library to do work instead of doing it at home in your bedroom. I think there's so many options people have based on what they're where where they're living or how they're living in order to continue to nurture that independence
1: and that growth. Exactly. That's why like I find myself in coffee shops obviously, like, all the time, like going to a coffee shop and just having my moment of solitude. Like I will not even go with my friends to coffee shops. I literally just go by myself because that's like the only time that I have to myself. And it is because I don't live on my own. If I lived on my own, I, I would literally be just at home all the time. Like I love being a homebody. I feel like the pandemic completely changed me. Like my siblings, look at me like, why aren't you out? Like, go out. I'm like, no, I want to be home in my room. You know what I mean? So I've created a space for myself. You know, I just can't help but to think like subhanAllah, like how Allah created us. Like when you really think about it, like I know we we say this all the time, but it's like our parents took care of us when we were younger. And as we're growing older, they're growing older and we're taking care of them. Like, man, that really like hits me. It makes me emotional. Like really like Allah created us in that way to have caretakers when we're young. And then we become these same caretakers for those who took care of us. It's a full circle. It's almost like a lesson. It's like a lesson that's embedded in just being alive and and living in this dunya that like you can't run away from. Inshallah, inshallah, Ya Rabbi, we always have the capacity to take care of our loved ones and our parents. And it's just something that really hits me because it's like, man, i like, we're in our 30s. As much as I want to embrace my 30s, there's also that that stark reality. Like, okay, as I'm aging, my parents are aging. It hurts. But it's also like, wow, like I I really want to make the most of these moments. And that's why I think I'm trying my best to repair my relationship with them one day at a time, taking a day by day and just like try my best to see things from their perspective and not hold this resentment. Because one day when we do lose them, that resentment is going to kill me because that resentment, it robbed me of my ability to be able to kind of like see my parents for who they are and love them for who they are and, and try my best to like forge a better relationship with them.
0: I think it's absolutely a blessing to be able to have a relationship with our parents. And I don't think that's separate from caring for them. I think that part of caretaking is having like a fruitful relationship with them. And not everybody gets that opportunity. We know that like, you know, not everybody gets an opportunity to see their parents grow old. So it is a huge blessing. Again, that's why this conversation is so important to have with nuance and understanding like everybody's story looks a little different. But this isn't to like bash parents or to say, you know, they messed us up and we have all this work to do. It's to really like do this work together and independently and together as well. And I think when we also are working on ourselves and we're we're taking care of ourselves, it makes our parents happy as well. And maybe they don't verbalize that. Maybe they do. So I think that helps me like release maybe some of the fear or guilt that like, am I taking good enough care of them? Am am I spending 100% of my time? I think if I was spending 100% of my time completely caring for them, that actually wouldn't be healthy because they wouldn't be able to see me flourish and things I want to do, which I know makes them happy. And is like literally why they traveled across the world and like try to create a better life for us. They want to see us flourish. They want to see us happy. Again, when we're having these frank conversations, like we will probably never feel like we did enough for them. Right. Like that is something we're probably going to always wish we could do more of. But I think it's also important to balance that with like whatever you're doing in your life to help yourself be a better person, a better Muslim, a better child to your parents that is in turn,
1: like also care for them. No, that those are such great points and that's why this conversation is very nuanced some people may relate to some of the parts that we're talking about some people can't and that's okay everybody has their own relationship that they forged with their parents and also their own experiences growing up and whatnot when it comes to your own self-development i mean, like you and i talked about also being god conscious in the process and having taqwa and what does that mean for you like how has that helped you and i want to talk about your trip to Umrah too like that photo was so beautiful and it had every right to go viral because it was just such a beautiful photo but right love the fact that it was you and your brother because it kind of gave us a different perspective on our faith and, and, you know, just being able to have that bond with our siblings as well and to experience those beautiful parts of our faith with our siblings. It's, it doesn't always have to be where we have to wait to get married and then we experience our faith in that sense.
0: I think when we talk about excellence or Ihsan, I don't think like we talk about this enough as a community. This is something like I've picked up from my siblings talking to their children about Ihsan and that I've noticed when they're talking to their kids. And they're like, Muslims do things with Ihsan. You know, did you do that with Ihsan? Did you do that with excellence? It could be like the most mundane thing, like the way they cleaned up their toys or the way they treated their sibling. Like, did you do that with excellence? And I love that I hear them saying that and it challenged me and it confronted me a little bit of, am I doing things with excellence? Am I just going about my life doing things subpar or the bare minimum or just getting by? Or am I really actually utilizing all the gifts and all the privileges that Allah has blessed me with? Like, how am I going to answer to him on the day of judgment if I did something half-hearted? When he gave me a pathway or he gave me the ability to do something in such an amazing way and I did it Just half hearted or I did it just enough to get by. And that could be in anything that could be in my job. It can be in the way I treat people. And I think that was really important for me to think about, you know, when I moved out, you know, am I taking this step as just like a reaction to something? Oh, I didn't like the situation I was in or it wasn't helping me. So now I'm just going to move out. But then what? All the knowledge and everything isn't just going to pour in. You might just carry on just the way you were living, just separate from your family. So I think it was really important for me to continue to think about. And it's something I hope I can continue to keep at the forefront of my mind. You know, am I doing this thing with excellence? Am I even the time I'm spending with myself Am I doing this the best I know how or am I doing it in a way that's good for me? The time I'm spending with my friends. Am I being somebody of excellence? One book I'm reading, I'm just finishing up that I was reading in Ramadan is Allah Loves. He just has such a, mashallah, great way of putting things in a few words. I mean, and there's a chapter in there about independence. There's a chapter in there about excellence. And I think it's really confronting like to read that book and be like, Allah would love for me to do this thing with excellence. Allah would love for me to be independent and not constantly be in need of other people if I don't actually need it. And I think it's a hard conversation to sometimes have because uh, we don't want to sound like we're not being compassionate towards people who need support and need our help and need community care. But we have to independently be thinking about like, do I actually need this or am I kind of just leaning on this person too much right now because I don't want to use... My own strength and energy to push through this difficult thing. And I think just staying conscious of excellence or ihsan is something that we obviously all can use. But I think in self development and self growth and growing our independence is really important. We could really see the fruits of our labor when we do that. And I think we're really showing our gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we do that because we're. We're showing gratitude for all the blessings he's given us and we're using them towards good, inshallah.
1: That was so beautifully put. You know, subhanAllah, like everything happens at the perfect time. And I think this Ramadan really touched me. And I think this was one of my most favorite Ramadan experiences ever. And reading that book was like literally the cherry on top. And you're so right. It's like, it's such a short book, but each sentence hits you. And I was like, oh my, I literally have a Google Doc of so many notes written about that book because I absolutely loved it. He said so many great points. And Hassan was one of them. And I was like, as me, myself, as a Muslim, I don't think about that too often. We think about, oh, intention, doing things with good intention. But what about doing, everything that you do on a daily basis with excellence. That's truly being God-conscious. Taqwa happens first, and then you have the ihsan. You're, you're doing things because you're God-conscious, but then now you're also doing them with even excellence on top of it. You're adding that layer, and it's just such a beautiful book. I highly recommend it. Thank you for bringing it up. It's called Allah Loves, and really, it's everything that Allah loves. I think that's what each chapter he starts it out with, and I absolutely love it. Going back to your Umrah trip, I mean, I thought it was so beautiful that photo was captured, but I want to be able to capture everything that you've also experienced outside of that photo? Like, how was it for you? Like, subhanAllah, you see people from all walks of life. You see people who, you know, are there because they're, they're really, truly begging Allah for their du'as to be answered. A lot of people are going through their own set of hardships. And for them, they feel like that's as close as they can get to Allah. Is going to Umrah, making that du'a. Not to say necessarily you have to do that for your du'as to be answered. But like, again, you don't know what people are going through, what part of their life journey they're on, and you get to witness that. You get to witness every single person from so many different parts of the world, all in one place. And for the sole purpose of worshiping Allah subhanAllah, like what a beautiful, beautiful thing to experience. Such an amazing trip. I'm so blessed that
0: I was able to go. This was my second time. The photo going viral was so weird. And yeah, <laughs> people asked if I knew the photo was taken. I had no idea it was taken. I literally saw it on social media and was like, I think that's me. Wow. Uh,
1: you see that at the same time we all see that, which is so crazy. Yeah, it was
0: very weird. I remember a friend posted it as like hashtag couple goals. And I was like, girl, that's me, my brother. <laughs> oh my and gosh. she was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that's my brother. We often uh, didn't visit the visit the Kaaba or the Haram during the day because it was so hot. Like unless we were going for prayer and then we'd we'd come back to our hotel. But we were actually in the process of leaving Mecca to Medina at that point. So we went to like give our wada to the Kaaba and just do some tawaf as our farewell. It was almost hot time. So the sun is almost peaking at the top of the sky and it just, there's no shade anywhere. Allah protect us from the day that there's no shade. We were just, you know, I was literally, I just grabbed some zamzam water and my brother was finishing a prayer and I'm like, there is nowhere to sit except I'm going to just sit right behind him because it's the only cool place I can <laughs> see. And I guess that photo got taken. Yeah, it was interesting to see The assumption was made that we were a couple. And I think that says a lot about our global Muslim community and, you know, the romanticizing of couples and marriage and doing acts of worship with your partner, which is really beautiful. I I think it was important to just clarify that he was my brother. I didn't think much of it. I, I just wanted to clarify it. I saw people romanticizing it and a bunch of heart eye emojis and things like that. And I just wanted to show people, like, you know, you can go to Amra with your siblings. You can go with a group. You don't have to wait until you have a partner to go experience this beautiful trip. And like, what better of a trip to take with like the people you love or, you know, the people in your life might not be your siblings. Maybe it's your cousins. Maybe it's a group in your like local masjid. Like there's so many groups, but just holding off on these experiences. I think growing up, we used to hear this, like I used to only hear about old people going to Hajj. And I used to really rarely hear people talking about going to Umrah, And I'm so glad, like, as I grew up and we lived in different communities, I started to like meet people who were like, oh, yeah, I went to Hajj when I was 12. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, my whole family went at one point. And I'm like, what a like, what a beautiful experience. And like, what a seed to plant in somebody because when you go there and you have that experience, you're going to want to go back and you're going to want to take people you love with you. And, you know, of course, there was comments like, oh, this is some feminist anti-marriage, you know, (laughs) ideology you're trying to spread. And I'm like, no, that's cool. Go with your partner. Go with the people you love. Just don't wait for these really beautiful experiences, whether it's going to Umrah, whether it's trying to go to Hajj, whether it's just trying to visit like medina or jerusalem like go to these things because it's gonna nourish you not because it's just this hashtag couple's goals you know
1: yeah i think it's like we wait for these things because we're always taught like marriage is half of our dean so it's like okay then you should also wait to experience all these incredible ro- ways of worship with your spouse because it makes it that much more special it's like no like these things can be experienced outside of marriage as well is it beautiful like you said to, to do it with your husband of course and what's beautiful about this is it's not just a once in a lifetime obviously for some people it is because of the finances that goes along with it but if you have the ability to go more than once you can you can go with anybody that you want my uncle is always there like he's always just traveling he's always telling my mom come with me let's go like he's oh and it's beautiful because they're siblings and you're so right like growing up I always just looked at Hajj as like anybody that's like much older in our community can go and then they come back then you call them Hajj or Hajj that's it but this year oh my god everybody was at Umrah like every single person I was like wait did I miss the invite because I I felt like I was the only one that didn't go. But inshallah, inshallah, my mom wants to go next to her as a family. And I think that's beautiful. Like she's not telling me, oh no, wait till you get married and then go with your spouse and experience it. No, it's like, I, I think we're slowly shifting our mindset to be able to experience these beautiful things, these beautiful ways of connecting with Allah wherever we are in our journey at that moment and not having to wait and miss out on such a beautiful opportunity just because we're not married. If Allah wrote for you to visit his beautiful place like of Mecca and Medina, like do it do it. Don't wait on just because you feel like you're missing on certain opportunities in your life.
0: Just like we shouldn't wait on any of the other growth that we're trying to do in this independence we're trying to reach. Why would we stifle our spiritual growth before we have a partner? Why would we do that? Nobody's telling us, don't pray to Hezhad until you get married. Don't Give sadaqah until you get married so that you can go do it with your partner. You know, like traveling is tough. And anybody who's traveled with people knows if you travel with people and you make it out okay, you're probably very close to those people then because usually people see the worst of you when you travel. I think it's amazing to go have that trip on your own and don't have the pressure of other people being around you or maybe feeling like you need to perform around other people. And then when you do go with, you go again, inshallah, or you go with your partner You kind of have a familiarity already now with the trip is going to be like maybe the times that are going to be difficult and you're going to need support. You know, those those are all things like there was so much I didn't expect the first time I went to Amra. I think we were talking about this earlier that, you know, the first time I went, I was so overwhelmed. Initially, sensory stimulation. When we first got to the Kaaba, I was just one overwhelmed by like looking at it, all the people Also kind of being like afraid, like of how many people were there. Like, am I going to get lost from the people who are with me? We, you know, we talked about it like as a family, like, all right, I'm going to constantly be holding on to your like shoulder. And that's like, if you feel me let go, that means I'm not holding on. So, you know, there's like all these things. I think where I had to really try to like calm that overstimulation like down because it was very overwhelming for me. But I think also we said you're seeing so many different people from all over the world you're seeing people who look different, you're seeing people do things you maybe never would have imagined, you know, like people get very emotionally overwhelmed when they're by the Kaaba or they're in Medina. It can be a little like frightening to see people so emotionally overwhelmed and you can get very distracted from it. And I remember like at one point, like my brother's best advice for me was you might just want to lower your gaze when you're by the Kaaba. You know, if you get really intertwined with looking at what other people are doing or judging them, like you're not free of judgment just because you're by the Kaaba. Like you might look at somebody and be like, what are they doing? Or why are they acting? Like that? So you really have to like protect your heart and protect your mind from what what things might be testing you. So you know, I think the second time around, I was a little more prepared for the chaos that can be in in Mecca, and you know, people describe Mecca and Medina to be so different. And people are people are just like Mecca's Mecca could be feel so chaotic and busy all the time, like it's a city that never sleeps. I think it's almost like a beauty in seeing that that chaos is still kind of happening. But even amongst that chaos, now here is this like peaceful center that everybody is going to want to like feed from. It's kind of gives you chills when you're there. Even when you're around the Kaaba, more than one person I've heard describe it this way, where it's quiet. And at the same time, there's so much noise. And it's it's hard to describe that like if you focus on the noise, you will hear so much noise. You will hear people talking. You'll hear all that. You'll hear guards telling people, go there, stay here, you know, don't walk over here. And then if you focus on the quiet, you will just hear like birds chirping or the wind. I think it's really important for us to get in tune with ourselves and we make it what we want to make it
1: when we're there. SubhanAllah, because it's literally our masjid, but on steroids. Like if it's like, you know, our masjid and during Ramadan is like, well, we're like overstimulated because there's obviously everybody shows up during uh, tarawih prayers. But imagine this at a capacity of millions of people and you're all in the same space and same vicinity doing the same thing. I, I can't even imagine that. And it's beautiful the way that you described it, that like peace and chaos can exist in such a place. And it's true. And it's it's what you choose to focus on. How was that experience though? Like, I understand like Allah's everywhere. I totally, I, I get that. But like to be in that space, like how did it make you feel? Like what were the conversations like between you and Allah or that feeling? Like, did you feel any closeness? Did it change your perspective on anything on how you pray or whatnot? And then just also witnessing other people making dua for their loved ones, for them to take a moment to make dua for others while they're in in that vicinity, in that capacity. is That's a beautiful thing to witness as well.
0: Yeah, I think I think something important uh, in regards to like the peace and the chaos and just when you're there, I think what I realized is, and these were like also reflections I took from like discussing things with my brother. So all these like thoughts aren't independently mine, but we would talk about things at Umrah that are so reflective of life and that we're experiencing while we're there. Like when you're doing Tawaf and you're circling the Kaaba, There's times it's so easy. There's nobody pushing you over. The flow of traffic is so smooth and you're just like enjoying it. And then all of a sudden you are hitting a traffic jam and you're being smashed up against people and it's difficult. And if you're short like me, you probably can't see where you're supposed to go. You know, we were just talking about like what a just in this short circling that we're doing, what a metaphor for life and that like. We have these times where things are just flowing so easily and so perfect. And then there's these times that things are so tough and so difficult and we might not even be able to see out of it. But when you're there, you know you're going to get out of it you know, you're going to eventually hit the part of the wall where it's all free and you can breathe. But, you know, in life, do we think about that? Do we see like Allah is going to make everything easy? And obviously when you're there, like you see so many miracles happen right before your eyes. There were so many times that I'd just be like, oh, my God, I'm just so hungry right now and I don't have a snack in my bag. I'd just be thinking it. And like, somebody would just offer me dates. Oh. And I'm just like, thank you, angel. Like, Spanella. you know, uh, Subhanallah, like people love to give out candy and stuff. And or it's just like somebody just smiles at you and just makes you happy. It makes you feel like you're not you're not there alone. You know, it was just me and my brother. We weren't in a group. So there was a lot of times we were separate if we were praying and things like that. And I'm just like, OK, I am here alone, but I am also here with this global community. I feel safe. I feel protected. But I do think there was, it was really great to be there on our own and have my own personal time because then it's just me and Allah, you know, which is all of life, obviously, like Allah's always with us, right? But there's nobody I'm trying to impress. There's nobody who is, you know, checking, does my du'at look sincere? Nobody's reading my du'at list. Like it's just me. Nobody's seeing if I'm saying amin loud enough or whatever it may be. You know, I think having that one-on-one time was the most precious to me and the most special, you know, I just felt like I could just pour my heart out to and He's He's listening. And I think that's such a, and it felt like such a special privilege to have, to be able to remember everyone I wanted to make du'a for and to be able to mention their names and things like that. I think something else that stuck out to me that was, it would shake me every time I would see it. But if we would be, we'd be walking around the Kaaba doing our tawaf and So many times I witnessed parents making dua for their children. Either I I could understand if they were saying it in Arabic uh, or in English, but just seeing these parents like making sincere dua, crying, asking Allah to protect their kids, asking Allah to give their kids halal income, asking Allah of everything for their children. And it would just shake me every time because I'd just be like, do these kids know like this is what their parents are doing with this time, a time they can be so selfish and rightfully so. They could be so selfish with their dua and just think about themselves and they're crying out to Allah about their children. You know, and I think it brings us back to our original conversation of you don't really know maybe what your parents are thinking about you or what they feel like they can't express. I think witnessing that was just so beautiful. And I I wish I could have like, I don't know, text those kids and been like, if you only saw what your parents are saying. But you know, like what a beautiful secret also for them to have with Allah, because that's the most beautiful dot is just between them and Allah. And nobody else really knows what they're saying. But I think that was like one of the most beautiful things to witness. And then it would remind me to like make dot for my nieces and nephews, and make dot for my parents and everybody else um, that I care about. But when you're there, you you really don't know what people are going through. And I think it's such a beautiful lesson for that there. Even if somebody like shoves you because they're trying to get closer to the Kaaba or somebody wants to get in front of you to pray closer to the Kaaba than you and just like not taking it personally, because it's such a, a reflection of maybe what we try to practice in our everyday lives that we don't know what people are going through. We don't know what people's experience or story is. You don't know it there either, but you know you're all there because you're trying to make this dedication to Allah and serve Allah. I think being able to be graceful with people there and compassionate, it it can be tough because like I said, you want to be selfish. You want to be selfish with your time. But like, again, you're in front of Allah, you know, and if you are allowing people that grace and that compassion to just be like, all right, go ahead in front of me, it's all good or that's fine that I got shoved. It's okay. Excuse me. <laughs> like I'll walk the other way is just such a, a beautiful thing to try to practice. If you can practice it there, inshallah, it just makes it easier for people to practice that in their everyday lives. But again, you don't know, like you don't know what somebody is there trying to make dua for. You don't know if somebody is sick and they're asking a the law for healing. You don't know if they have family that they are struggling with, and they're trying to make dua to heal that relationship. If they're really poor and they spent their last few dollars to come to Umrah and they're trying to change their life. Like you don't know what, again, you never know what people are going through. And I think there you
1: just get that lesson all over again. SubhanAllah, because honestly, that's so true. I mean, we had a loved one Allah, before she passed. She went to Umrah. You wouldn't be able to tell like, that she had cancer and, and why she was there. But that's the reason why she had cancer and she went there because it was just, I guess, the last piece of hope, that last thread of hope to be able to seek Allah's protection and, and healing and, and, and all that. SubhanAllah, whatever Allah has written, He has written for us. And that really made me emotional about the parents. Because I think like sometimes we need that reminder. Sometimes we can't, we really can't look at our parents as our enemies. Like these are the people that brought us into this dunya and these are the people that tried their very best literally to keep us alive. Like I look back on all the ways, I don't want to get emotional, but just all the ways that like, even my dad, like just being the only person that's working and him providing for me and my siblings. Isn't that a form of worship? Isn't that the one of the best ways of worshiping Allah by taking care of your family that you brought into this dunya? It really does make me emotional. And I'm just so glad that you shared that because a lot of times we don't know like what our parents are praying for us. They really truly do want the best for us. So I really, really want to thank you. And while that was just such a full circle moment because of like how we started this conversation, trying to better understand our parents, have a better relationship with them, be very kind to them and compassionate and have grace towards them and I, I'm, I'm trying my best to do that because I'm still a human being and I come with my flaws and I, I, I really I truly want a better relationship with my family and, and then for us to just like end on this note is just such a beautiful way so inshallah we can always just and it was like a reminder for just us all of us in general just to have compassion and grace towards one another because you really don't know what people are going through you know trigger warning but there's people yeah that, that take their life away and, and you're just in shock and disbelief because you think they lived such a great life because we're all faking it on social media I don't care who who you are we're all just showing just the good moments we don't show the other parts of our lives where we are drowning in hardship sometimes. So it's like certain you know interactions with people can truly make or break you. So If you can, if you want to literally lead a life with excellence that we talked about, lead it with being compassionate towards other people and being kind to other people and really just assuming that they're going through the worst and your interaction is the interaction that's going to make or break them. And if we truly live that way, I I think, man, look, literally not to sound cliche, but the world would be a a better place. It really would. I honestly admire you, Abiyad. Like I, this is why you inspire me. Wallah, mashallah. Like I absolutely love your stories. I love your reflections. I love everything that you do and- I I just hope that, you know, inshallah, you can always succeed. Allah always blesses you. Allah always protects you and your family. And is there anything that we can kind of look forward to in regards to your own career path? I know, Mashallah, like you had such a beautiful and inspirational like food page. And I absolutely loved it because it was like, because I'm a little biased. I am Palestinian. So when you you would cook certain things, it was just like it would bring back such great memories, you know, and we would show my mom too your page all the time, like me and my sister. And like she would love it. My mom would absolutely love it. So is there anything that we can look forward to or anything that you are? are working on. And what are some ways that people can connect with you? And if you want to share your even your social media handle.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, one, thank you so much for having me on. I think just like you said, kindness and compassion, these things don't cost us anything to give and and I still struggle with this and it's something I think Just human, we'll struggle with it. The more we can try to practice that, inshallah, that's something Allah brings back into our lives as well. And people will, you know, that'll just reflect and mirror in our lives as well. Change our perspective and our uh, vision for how we see the world and how we go about our lives. As far as me, yeah, I might have some things in the works, but people can stay in touch with me either through my website, abirnajar.com or uh, mostly on Instagram at Abier Najad underscore so A B E E R N A J J A R underscore a mix of mostly food my mom and just general things. I feel like the last two years have changed my relationship with social media, with social media a lot. My relationship with social media has changed, but I think in, in just growing and seeing what kind of good can we do through social media and what kind of things can I leave? And I hope I can just continue to share things that uh, might be helpful or inspirational to others and make people want to eat and cook more.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. You definitely do. So you always put me in the mood to eat and eat good food. Again, just thank you so much, And Honestly, the honor is mine to have you on here to be able to connect with you. And you're just somebody that I honestly, like I said, you you honestly inspire me through all the work that you do and your reflections. And it's just beautiful for us to be able to connect in this way. And as much as like, yeah, I, I have this weird relationship with social media. Some days I absolutely love it because it really does connect you with so many different people. And then we get to share incredible stories like yours. And then some Some days it's like, oof, you know, Dean or Vadunya. I don't want to, I don't care about social media. It's just like taking, it's, it's a distraction, but it's, it's honestly just with everything in life, it's how you view it, how you use it. And inshallah, we can always just be blessed with doing the right thing at the right time and, and always being protected by Allah and inshallah khair. And honestly, inshallah khair for us all. I think we honestly deserve every piece of goodness that this dunya has to offer us. And I think we all are truly deserving of it after everything that we've probably gone through in our personal lives and just even collectively in the last few years years what we've gone through so again thank you so much for sharing your story absolutely love David and i love you and i appreciate you thank
0: you i love you too